ready for a revolution. It's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with the Ryan Campbell. Back at it one more time. Some revolutionary audio to trickle through your eardrums. That's, of course, backjacked and underwritten by that performance-enhancing audio. Back pro wrestling style this week. Plenty to talk about indeed. It's your boy, BC, the Brian Campbell, the voice that you hear on this show. In this Campbell podcast. Thank you, Nick Costos. Hope you enjoyed that Japanese vacation like your Instagram pics. All right. Hey, folks, it's been a long time since you've reached out with a five-star review for this podcast. I've checked. I've seen it. So if you like this show, if you actually take the two hours out of your week to spend with myself and my co-host, please spend an additional 60 seconds. Give us a note. Give us a shout-out. Give us a high-five. Just give us, okay? Thank you very much. Time to get into the show this week. Lots going on from the Raw reunion to a pretty juiced-up SmackDown, I might add. G1, Climax, and more. So let me bring in my co-host to do the talking. Say hello to the bad guy. He's a regionally renowned... Uh, editor, writer, podcaster, homeowner. He's the Silver <laughs> King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now, I don't think I've had an intro that has gotten more of a response than last week's about becoming a new homeowner and the number of people that replied to me and basically were like, yeah, man, I feel you. It is rough sledding. I am moving in Friday. I just had the place painted. I had to get a ton of work done, mold removal, Pest control. I have a, getting a fan installed along with cable on Thursday. This is a process, BC. Now, I don't remember. I know you just recently bought a home when you started your employment here. Ago, yes, yes. Was it new construction or was that an older home as well? It was a 1965 construction, but I will say I was uh, benefited by it being extremely move and ready with heavily motivated sellers. So okay. they had the new roof done, the new septic. They had a lot of new going on. Um, I think people really want to know, though, Adam, how you would pay money to have a hot tub removed from a house you bought. Well, I didn't pay money. I got paid. That's that's called oh, selling. Hey. Oh, this is a business. This was a transaction. You're saying. Oh, this was fantastic. So bought the home. Uh, it came with the I mean, it, the hot tub was there and the guy wanted a, you know a lot of money for the home and I negotiated as part of it. Well, I'll pay you eventually, you know, more of what you want, but you got to leave the hot tub. And he's like, okay, fine, because I'm sure the guy didn't want to move the hot tub for anything. So long story short, I placed it on all the apps that you can to sell things. Uh, it took two weeks. Eventually, a few people came back to me, much lo- some much lower, others higher. Uh, guy gave me a really good offer. I said, okay, now you got to move it. Uh, and there are people, apparently, who move hot tubs. That is what they do what the all people- day. Every day. People are probably riveted by your transaction, Adam, but the people really want to know who would sell a hot tub. Uh, live in Florida and move into a house in July and then think to yourself, do I really need a hot tub? Yes. Oh, and, do- yes. and don't be washed like Brian where like your muscles ache and stuff because mine don't. So, yeah, I have no need for a hot wow, tub. This, this non-washed prime Silver King doing the talking here. You know it. Yeah, we know the rest of that. Thank you, Zach Ryder. Well, congratulations, Silver King, on the new house. Uh, Somebody's out there enjoying that hot tub. Silver King, it's a busy time for wrestling. They tell me it's also a busy time if you're a fan of the old pigskin. Training camp season. It's here. It's back. 
football is back. And Adam, that means the CBS Sports Pick 6 NFL podcast is ready to be with you all preseason. Adam, tell me why I should I should listen to this show on the reg. Oh, it's just a great show. There's tons of different guests that come on, different CBS Sports writers, athletes, experts. Uh, it's hosted by Will Brinson, who is our one of our in-house NFL experts. It's a really good show. It just improves week by week and year by year. Uh, and the greatest thing about it is it comes out five days a week. So you get short snippets of NFL information into your ear holes coming right from our CBS Sports counterparts. Um, you know, you probably won't hear Brian talk much about the NFL, but during the season, Silver King is big into fantasy football, as you know, big into gambling. So I'll be tweeting all about it. I don't think I'll ever be on that show, um, but it is a good uh, bit of business uh, for us to be in. And I think it's something that you guys could subscribe to. You'll definitely enjoy it and remain subscribed through the season. This is the right time. It's yeah. right before training camp begins. You're going to get all that info you need for fantasy football, for, you know, regular football, obviously, and the ins and outs of the league. Hirings, firings, uh, cuts, and coaching changes, and everything that happens all year long. So you want to wake and bake. That's your personal preference. But after that, open up your inbox. Every day during this offseason, you will find a brand new Pick 6 NFL podcast to make sure you're ready for the 2019 NFL season with added fantasy and gambling twists. Just download and subscribe to the Pick 6 pod wherever fine audio is available. Tell them. BC sent you. Hey, SK, before we get into uh, this old wrestling life here and break all this ish down, um, what do you got? What's new in your life? Anything? What's happening? Well, I just wanted to kind of come off that wake and bake comment. How baked was Rob Van Dam on Monday night? <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad that he didn't take a bump, but I'm like, well, then why did he wear the, the tie dyed spandex? Is that the only thing he had in the suitcase? Would you would you recognize him if he didn't wear that? That's a fair point. Well, we would, but I mean, would, uh, would a, a younger point. fan recognize him if he didn't wear hey, that? Hey, uh, Booker T, by the way, was all over uh, Pacquiao Thurman weekend in Las Vegas this past week for his Houston radio station. It was uh, I, lo- I, I love Booker T. Me too. I walked by him. I, he was he was taking a picture with a uh, boxing friend of mine. I yelled five time, five time. He stopped what he was doing, turned around and said, yo. It's six time. Get it right. I was like, whoa. True. Okay. That's fine. All right. You know, it is. It used to be all about the five on this show, but uh, that's fine. Five time. Five time. Five time. Um, looking pretty jacked, though. Booker T these days. Looking pretty jacked. Not washed at all. So He's yeah. looking, as he would say, he's looking good. Uh, you also, BC, saw Big Show. Yeah, at the at the uh, at the baggage claim at the uh, LAX, uh, that was interesting. You can't miss him. I mean, that's for damn sure. I didn't. Uh, you know, not only I saw that. I don't know if I mentioned it on the show, but uh, did I? That two weeks earlier, I was in Vegas for UFC, and I stayed in the same hotel as Billy Kay and Peyton Royce, who were celebrating Peyton's. Uh, what do you call that thing? Her uh, her uh, bachelorette Engagement? party. Bachelorette party. Emma Emmalina was there as well, and. So they got out of the <laughs> elevator as I was about to get in, and nobody recognized them. And they turned the corner, and I'm like, holy crap, this is the damn Iconics. I run around the corner and snap a pick, and Emelina turns around as the pick snapping happens and gives me a dirty look. But, you know, Well, that, that's kind of creepy as opposed to saying, hi, uh, I'm Brian. I'd like to say hello well, to you. What's, what's creepier, though, acting like a fan and getting the pick from behind or doing the, hello, I'm a wrestling journalist. You may have remembered me interviewing you on one of your 5,000 during WrestleMania weekend, right? Like well, I think it's all about the approach. I mean, if you walk them and go, hey, guys, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember me. I'm Brian. I've covered you a couple times for CBS Sports. You know, big fan is one thing or taking a sneaky picture 
uh, like some of these people that post on the internet. I mean, I don't know. That's well, I didn't, it was for internal use only. Meaning I was gonna <laughs> no, meaning I was gonna send it to to you basically to the people right. in my life that are wrestling fans, people like my friend. At TalkBox, Bob Backlund, a good guy. I know you've blocked him, but a very nice guy. Um, yeah, so they were, they're were very beautiful women. Saw them in person. Thank you. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, you don't, you, you're in South Florida. You don't run into like, uh, I don't know, uh, Gangrel at the, uh, at the, at the old, uh, uh, what do you call those supermarkets you got down there? There's a flea market. Is that what you're talking about? Oh wow! No, you know, there's no, there's not a, there's not a ex wrestler culture in in Greater Miami. No, there is. There's a lot of wrestling that happens down here. I just don't really go to any of it. I don't have the time to be honest with you. Um, SmackDown was in Miami like yesterday. Literally, it was in Miami. Oh, and how are you not at that? Because first of all, the people don't understand how far Miami is from the rest of South Florida. Like if you live in Palm Beach County, which is where I live, or work in Fort Lauderdale. Going to Miami is not some like twenty minute jot down the highway. So what it's is it, massive. An hour? It's massive traffic, especially in rush hour. It's a massive pain in the ass. There's parking by the arena is terrible. The arena itself sucks. So there's just not really to go to a SmackDown where I didn't know HBK would be there. I didn't know we were going to get some of the things that we got. There's no justification to really go now. If you're telling me there's a pay per view, I'm there 100. percent If there's a takeover, I'm there. But a random SmackDown, not really going to happen. I did go to Raw once with Nick. We saw The Rock, and, like, that was awesome. We didn't know that was going to happen, but we kind of expected it. It was one of those right-after-New Year shows where he shows up, and it ended up working out really nicely. But you just – to go to Miami, it, you can't trust it, and, and oh, it's a big so risk, especially on a Monday or Tuesday night during a work week, especially when I'm in – Moving into a new home. It's tough. Wow. A lot of complaints coming out of Team Silver King today. I'm just uh, saying this particular one was not timed very well, BC. But hey, but no, you missed a great show, though. That You missed a very good SmackDown. All right. You could I did, and I feel bad about it. But the thing is, uh, there's a lot of people listening to this show, and I hope ours is as good as SmackDown was on Tuesday night. And the way we begin it, BC, is with the main event. This is the main event. There's a lot happening, BC, in the world of professional wrestling. But I think Raw Reunion... Grabs most of the headlines this week, and rightfully so. I'm going to hit you off the top. Real simple question. Did you enjoy Raw Reunion, or did it come off to you like it came off to me, which was nostalgia for the sake of of nostalgia? It's a really hard answer, SK, because there was a a wide range of emotions. Uh, Hated it coming in because of everything you just said. It was absolutely gratuitous to run this back so close to Raw 25, so close to the 10,000th episode of SmackDown or whatever it was. The last two times we've sort of had these reunion type things. Obviously, Raw 25 came, came in very flat in the end. So knowing what we know dirt sheet wise that this was a USA Network order. I mean, look, creatively, storyline wise, it just it, it just felt so damn forced. And then the show happens. And by the way, the first 75 percent of it, surprisingly, I really liked it. I really liked it. It was the perfect mix of nostalgia with working in today's storylines and today's superstars without feeling like you had to damage today's superstars and send, for example, like Raw 25, the revival through that gangbang against all those old guys. This actually was kind of smart writing. You took guys like Sami Zayn, guys. The, the common thread throughout was we're angry at all these old guys coming back and stealing our TV time, and, and that worked. It was smart. It was creative. There was a, an edge to everything that was going on. But, Adam, me personally, 
from the moment that Seth Rollins DX segment started through the end of the show, I, I was out. I was out. I, you know, I, I'd love to break that down, what I did, loved and didn't like, but on a macro level, it was just gratuitous. They didn't work anything back to the young guys. It really played through a lot of sort of negative stereotypes I had coming in of, why are we doing this for the sake of doing this? What the hell's going on here? Adam, I hated the Seth Rollins segment. Hated it. Yeah. And it really went all the way through the end of the Austin one. And even though there's certain pops, the South Africa joke was fantastic. All in all, I had a, I, I exited that show on it with a negative taste in my mouth. Yeah, well, the Rollins segment, at least according to Dave Meltzer, was meant for Ricochet, who was not cleared to be on the show due, an el- due to an elbow injury. So maybe it would have worked better with him and maybe there's – uh, maybe they changed plans regarding like how that was going to be presented. Um, but clearly it just was a mess. And even if Ricochet wasn't that and they're trying to put him over by having DX and the NWO put him over, they can just put him over by putting him out there. He's a great wrestler. You don't really need that. I thought it was strange that they debut basically a new faction or at least not a faction. Let me correct myself. A new group, which is what they called themselves on TV, which is what they are in the OC, which – the name, I'll let you talk about That's not a show I ever watched, but everyone that has heard OC is basically talking about the OC, the old show on MTV, so whatever, or Fox, whatever it was. Um, but they bring this group, and they're introducing this new group with a new logo, and these guys are badass. They cut a really good promo backstage, and they job them out to DX on the NWO. Like, it's like, what are you doing? All right, so Adam, in some ways, this Raw reunion should have been Raw 25. Do you remember the the amount of PR they put into Raw 25. Well, Do you remember the, the amount of legends we interviewed on this show leading into that? And then that car, that sucked. If this one would have been Raw 25, I would have maybe covered up for some of their mistakes more. But to See, run this out like they did, and to have Rollins, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again, to have Rollins and Triple H be best friends? No, not well, they re- But me. they rectified that previously. Barely. Before. To have Hall and Nash, badass NWO guys, come out as... DX subordinates, like, here's the deal on DX. You ready for this, Adam? You want the hard truth on DX? They're second-rate NWO. They've always been. They were the reaction to NWO. They were pretty damn funny. They had some really good moments. They went through two lead singers, if you will. It was like ACDC. They went through two iterations with Sean and without, and then the reunion tour, and it was all pretty damn good. But they're sort of the sophomoric junior version of the damn NWO, and you had Hall and Nash there as extras. I didn't love that. I didn't love the same sort of segment run back again and seeing the the uh, the good brothers have to re- re- you know retreat like that. That just felt forced and lame in sort of a second rate run of what they already lamely attempted to do at Raw twenty five. Yeah, I think the whole show was really lame to me. And and Raw twenty five, despite all of its ills, it there was an attempt. They attempted to do something big. This was just hey, we're going to throw a bunch of money at you guys. Why don't you come to the show and we'll work you in somehow. And I mean, Raw 25 and SmackDown 1000 felt important, not just through the promotion, but they were actually momentous occasions. Doing a Raw reunion three weeks out from your second biggest show of the year and basically having a three-hour show where you're not really continuing storylines towards SummerSlam, it was almost just like they stopped production on WWE put this show in, and then re- are going to restart it next Monday with two weeks to go. It, it it really rang hollow to me. For me, it was nostalgia for the sake of nostalgia, whereas in the past, they would do like an old school Raw and go the old graphics and have some people come back and 
it would just have an old feel to it, and it would be really cool. This was the opposite of cool. This yeah. was more just this was we're gonna pop a rating, and that's what they did, and it's, they succeeded in that. But that's it. So they dropped the ball in that final segment. I'm gonna tell you how right now. Okay, I see a lot of people loving that Austin segment. I thought the segment was largely lame. I'm gonna be really honest with you. Maybe it's because I'm not a true and true Austin guy at heart. I don't know. I felt like that was a segment that actually could have used some scripting and coordinating. I felt it was just sort of a lot of nonsense for the sake of nonsense. Flair never gets the mic. But the main point of why I did not like that last segment was you got to look at the climate right now. WWE is getting a lot of criticism. A lot of the criticism is they can't write new storylines for their top superstars today, this gluttonous cupboard of top talent. And they're constantly going back in time in their biggest matches at Mania. And when you consider that criticism and you consider the season, we're heading into the launch of SmackDown on Fox, which is massive potential, which has a lot of financial pressure, which is why Bischoff and Heyman got hired, why we're ripping things up and starting over week to week, why there's a wild card rule which is ridiculous why all this stuff is happening if you're going to use that austin segment to put over a political message which we can get to in a second why would you not have a top star of today like roman reigns for example arm in arm with austin doing the presentation with him so in some ways a lot of people watch that and went wow f hulk and flair Steve Austin really is the legend of note. They, they gave him the lines. They gave him the opportunity to put over the love between the fans, all that stuff, whatever. Why would you not have Roman Reigns right by his side in that moment and create some kind of skit, create some kind of passing of the torch, do something cool? Adam, 2014, they did a Hulk Hogan 60th birthday party on Raw. It was kind of fun and shticky. The final segment, they had all of Hulk's old friends out there. They had a cake. It was all fun. Do you remember what happened? Brock Lesnar's music hit, and he came in there, and he stared down Hulk, and we almost had a fight, and it was like the perfect balance between let's celebrate the old, but let's remind you that the new could kick your ass and that the new is the cool hip thing of the moment. The way they ended Raw with that sort of unorganized, unscripted presentation I don't know. I, you know, I get it. If you're an Austin guy and you just loved him popping you and the South Africa joke kicked you in the field hole, that's fine. But for me, I'm like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think Roman may have, may be, may would have been potentially the wrong choice just because we already feel so many times like they're forcing him down our throats. You had Cena raise his arm. You had The Rock raise his arm. Now you're going to have Austin raise his arm. But your larger point is correct. They could have put Seth Rollins out there. They could have had Ricochet out there in a non-wrestling role. They could have had uh, Kevin Owens out there who's using his Very stunner. Maybe maybe someone does try to interrupt like a Sami Zayn and Owens stops him, stuns him, and then Austin gives him another stunner. They both drink beer together and they're now you're putting over Owens, which is cool. So, yeah, you're right. I mean there was one moment, BC, on the entire show that did what should have been expected on the entire three hours, and that was Mick Foley – putting over Bray Wyatt yes. and The Fiend, who, who used the Mandible Claw, which is a great submission move for The Fiend, especially with the gloves and the hands. It all works together. Mick Foley did the job on that show, as he always does. Bray Wyatt, even on SmackDown, we'll talk about it, it continued, it really works. But outside of that moment, the only real use of Legends was for this 24-7 title going back and forth the entire show, and to me, all they did, all they accomplished was make it even more of a joke than it already is. And yes, you can like certain segments with it. You can like R-Truth and Drake Maverick 
and the stuff away from the arena. You can like all of that. But again, think about the hardcore championship, right? It was utilized in a way where there were short mini matches where someone would get hit over the head with something and pinned or someone would hit a finisher out of nowhere somewhere and pin them. This championship is roll up, three count, kick out, it's over. Time and time and time and time again. You have, I don't even know how old they are, 70, 80-year-old geriatrics holding the title. You have a Lundra Blaze in a really good spot that I almost popped for, possibly like throwing the title away. And I'm like, oh my God, maybe they're going to get rid of it. This would be awesome, right? And then the Million Dollar Man comes out and buys it. And you're like, okay, that's uh, you know, it's a little funny, you know, whatever. And then he loses it in a dark limo where you don't see anything. It, it that was emblematic to me of the entire issue with the show, which was it actually was a reunion, Brian. It was as disappointing as a reunion is in our real lives, where you go to a high school reunion and you're like, you know what, I'm really excited to see everybody. This is going to be great. And then you realize, you know what, there's a couple people I'm happy I caught up with. The rest of it was kind of lame. I'm kind of well, pathetic, and I almost wish I just met up with those friends and had some beers and didn't go. Do you remember how – and that's that's a fair point. And if you want to pick apart the 24-7 thing, in the end, I decided I was okay with it, so I popped for most of it. I know what they were trying to put over. They are trying to call back to the hardcore, so I was okay. But here's the real deal. The best and only good part about Raw 25. Let's remember something about Raw 25. It was a cluster F of all cluster yes. Fs. It was two arenas, yes. nothing tied together. It was – uh, there was just it was the worst from Undertaker's promo to the gangbang of the revival. Yet that opening segment at the Barclays at Raw 25 with Austin and both Shane and Vince doing taking bumps, beer everywhere. I, we all we both popped at them to the highest level. It was an iconic callback. It was perfect. This past Raw reunion needed that exact segment as your go home. That's really what you needed, and it would have wrapped everything up tightly, and I think we all would have said, you know what? When all is said and done, that was pretty damn entertaining. Yeah, I could have hit them with the hipster take, and we could have concocted a scenario in which KO and Shane in, uh, in Austin did back-to-back stunners on both of them and then drank beers together. Maybe that would be an even better way to sort of pass the torch from one badass to another. But instead, Adam, we didn't get that, and we got this speech from Austin. And I've heard wildly different views from people I trust that I reach out to just to kind of pick their brain because my first reaction was what are we doing here WWE this is so transparent and so lame now hear me out the thesis of Austin's rant was about we're all brothers and sisters in this locker room past present and future and we can't do this without the guys who set up the ring, the guy who carries the cord on the camera, all you people at home and all you people in the arena. In the end, we may be big business these days, but we're all a family. We're all a mom and pop shop. We do this for you. You come and pay your money for us. It's a family. Yeah. Here's my problem with that, Adam. And you're probably going to tell me I'm crazy. But the timing of this speech feels a lot like they're counter-programming program counter programming <laughs> the speeches we've seen lately from Cody in AEW now before everyone presses pause and types how much they hate me this is not me comparing it to AEW to say AEW gets it right but we're saying one thing that Cody has done right lately is that old Paul Heyman ECW style of making the fans buy into this really it's what the other Paul Levesque does a great job at NXT. Why the fans are so positive and cheer everyone because they want it to succeed. They love it. 
Cody has done a tremendous job, even if you think a lot of those promos have been cringe. I felt like this was WWE looking at that and going, damn, they're like building an army over there of people who believe in them and saying, we need to remind people that we're not just uh, raiders, corporate raiders who take blood money from the sand. We actually care about the common man. I sell car parts <laughs> for the working class American. Like, what did Ray Zelinsky say that time? Because they don't I know say, better. I sell car parts for the American working man because that's who I am. I mean, it was so who I care about. It was so, in my view, transparent that they're like, you know, we're still your favorite mom and pop shop, too. That's been serving you snow cones since you were a toddler. So come on back, y'all. You here? So, Adam, seeing that being delivered by Stone Cold Steve Austin, of all people, the, 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 the rattlesnake, the toughest SOB in the world. Like, are you kidding me? Hey, Stone Cold, I got a message for you. Congratulations. You played yourself. I would have much rather Stone Cold came out there doing nothing but advertising his beers, which I guess they kind of did anyway, and doing nothing but advertising his new show on USA Network, which, by the way, kind of looks pretty cool. You're, you're damn right I'm going to check out that Becky Lynch episode. Adam, what was this? Well, look, Brian, I, your, I can get a bowl. good look at a T-bone steak by sticking my head up a bull's ass, but I'd rather take the butcher's word for it. It reminded me – no, you're kind of right. I don't think it's countering the AEW movement, if you want to call it that. But it did remind me very much of – I don't remember the year. It was in the early 2000s, let's say, maybe late 90s. They had a stand-up for WWE campaign. And I think it was against the FCC, if I remember correctly, where WWE and WWE and Howard Stern for a period of time, two things I loved um, and still do, uh, were both being attacked viciously by the FCC and and felt like they were constantly under attack. And Howard had his own way of dealing with it. WWE basically rallied the troops. It was the FCC and the Mother's Television Council or whatever the hell that was, those groups that used to that other group that used to exist. And they used to air these promos on WWE TV, stand up for WWE, where it was basically saying, like, we're a family. Our product is good. You're part of this just as much as we are. Stand up for what you love. And it kind of felt similar to that. Um, I just – I didn't hate it because I thought the fans liked it and there was beer and everyone got, got to celebrate together. I think it was well-intentioned. So I'm not going to hate on something that was well-intentioned. But did it ring kind of hollow to me? Yeah, because what has WWE gone and told us? And Kevin Owens said it on TV and Storyline a few weeks ago. They keep promising us that they're going to listen to us, right? And and that we're the new general managers and, and we're the authority and so on. But they're not listening to us. They make some changes and they give faces titles, although that's not really what people want. And – Rather, they they listen to their what Fox and what USA Network says, and they listen to what Vince McMahon thinks is wrong with the product, even though he's the one who's in control of the product. So I don't know. Like I said, it was fine. I don't fully buy into your take on it. But, yeah, but how about ultimately, the ultimately it's, it, was, it was just not that objectionable. Well, here's the deal, Adam. That's a John Cena-type speech to give. It is a John That's Cena That's a corporate speech. Cena speech. Hearing it come from the mouth of the rattlesnake, come on. And it yeah. makes me violently ill to my stomach. Like, DTA, brother, don't trust anyone. Now you're in a position to hawk your beer in your TV show, and now you're back on being Johnny Corporate, and now you're going to do this whole thing. Like, it, I don't know. It was weird. And it was actually hearing him ramble at the end. It's kind of kind of like 
sad would be the wrong word, but I didn't pop for it. I was almost like, can we get the hook here? Can we get the Apollo hook out here? What the hell is Stone Cold talking about right now? Why yeah, is nobody was, else talking? I was ready for it to end at that point. It it just wasn't. Listen, it was a womp womp the entire show. It, it didn't live up to the expectations of what you believe will occur when a lot of legends show up. And for them to advertise it in such a way, the, the largest grouping of the biggest stars ever in WWE. Well, no, Bigger it was because as, as big ha- as WrestleMania. OK, you didn't yeah, you didn't have the rock. You didn't have Bret Hart. You didn't have a lot of names that I really would have wanted to see there. And, you know, granted, some well, of them are not are not with us anymore. Well, but let's stop. I want to pause you there. OK, they, we get enough of Bret Hart lately. He's at the Hall of Fame. Is that oh, I don't need any more Bret Hart. Really? Rock is the only name that wasn't there. Right. That really. Really? I mean, Sable? I don't know. I think Sable I think when you're saying this is the largest, uh, the best grouping of stars and your mid carters are like Santino Morella and Hurricane Holmes, who works for the company. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. No, it's just not. It was fine. It was fine. Like, I, I didn't come out of the show hating the three hours of TV that I watched. No, it was, ba- it was, but, it was pretty good. But, but I said to myself, look, there was a lot of ways in which this did not live up to expectations. And the one thing I loved, Brian, and we mentioned – if you want to talk about it more because I did, but the Mick Foley Fiend thing was great. Um, but the one thing I loved, there was almost no wild card rule on the show. There was one SmackDown superstar, Roman Reigns, and I'm okay with Roman Reigns being on either both shows – or, or on a special Raw reunion show, that's fine. He's the company's biggest star. There were no other SmackDown talent. You know what else? There, that was the positive. The negative side, you know what else there wasn't? A women's match on the entire show. And people on Twitter were pissed about that. I honestly thought it was a little bit overreactionary. A bigger deal for me, Brian, is the lack of care to the women's division since WrestleMania as a whole on both shows versus just one night of Raw. But did you notice as well as I did that and as they did, obviously, that outside of the backstage segments with Candice Michelle and Kelly Kelly and the one interview segment with Moment of Bliss, like we need that again with Becky Lynch and with Natalia, that the women were largely absent from the show. Well, the Becky Lynch Natalia came on Tuesday night, right? Tuesday. No, I think yeah, that, that was, was a night. Tuesday night thing. No, that was Monday. That was. I think it was yeah. Tuesday. I'm no. really, I really think it was. No, Tuesday was all about Ember Moon and Charlotte and all that stuff. All right, I'm I'm confused. Um, I, I like uh, so, yeah. I mean, look, they they're fitting in legends. I'm not gonna harp on that. It's not a, it's not a big deal to me. And and I'll and I will reiterate and say that I liked most of that show. Really, I I did. It wasn't great, but I was entertained. I popped for the quick cameos. I thought they did a much better job this time using the quick cameos to to kind of work them into storyline and make them make sense. So all in all, I'll, I'll give it a thumbs up. Not a giant how, one, but I'll, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good how, with it for what it was. It was shameless. There was no shameless, but it was shameless. And under that cloud, it was actually kind of well done until the end. How great was Mick Foley? Yeah. His ear is so freaking weird. But yeah, yeah. It, Mick Foley was fantastic. I mean, what they're doing to get the fiend Bray Wyatt, the new Bray Wyatt, over to continue this on an upward movement from Monday to Tuesday Adam, it's fantastic. It's so damn good. So to use Foley to help do that, it instantly gave me flashbacks to the last great Foley moment, him getting fired as the Raw GM. Like, I forgot how great that segment was. I went back and found it on YouTube. When he got fired, he went toe-to-toe with Stefan Trips. Like, yeah, Foley, Foley can still deliver. It's Angle now, Adam, who when I see him on the screen, like when I saw him at this Raw reunion, I was like, oh, kind of 
kind of done. Oh, I like I like Kurt. I think Kurt as GM did a perfectly fine job. You may not have liked him on a live mic. It was rough sometimes, but he was good. He I was mean, good as then, a GM, he was good. He, he they wore us out with too many Kurt matches on this unnecessary retirement tour that he went on. And because we never got the payoff with Jason Jordan, it felt to me like his ending was a little too much, Kurt. Yeah, stuff, stuff happens. And that Jason Jordan thing certainly threw off what seemed to be, I think, what was it? WrestleMania plans, maybe, for Jason Jordan, Kurt Angle. That would have been really cool, right? So, yeah, that was unfortunate that it didn't happen that way. Um, but, BC, let's move over to SmackDown, obviously. And, you know, I had the opposite take for SmackDown. I don't think it was an amazing show, but to me, it got back to basics, and I thought it delivered for two straight hours. SmackDown was fantastic. In fact, Adam, in fact, I'm going to tell you that the worst part of SmackDown, it wasn't horrifically bad, but the worst part of SmackDown was the book-ending Shane McMahon-Kevin Owens segments that started and ended the show. And in a lot of ways, that was written under sort of the frustrating Vince of 2019 style where the rest of the show and... We know that Eric Bischoff started ahead of this episode in in terms of his day-to-day full-time work with the company. What we don't know, maybe you checked uh, the dirt, I didn't, but what we don't know is like what that really means. But if he had any influence in what we saw, the dialogue alone this week on SmackDown was enough to make you really excited about where this product is going. From the Dolph Ziggler and Shawn Michaels segment through the Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton segment and beyond to have real trash talk and fourth wall removal and bringing up the source spots and connecting the dots on history and saying the things that we're all thinking. It was like the kind of stuff that we usually only get in one go home segment ahead of a monster card, typically involving triple H. And we're like, why can't they talk like that all the time? Adam, if that dialogue is going to be like that every week, I'm telling you that they have an opportunity to stiff arm and kick to the face everything I love about AEW and the potential momentum that they will have in making you need to watch them. If this is what WWE can start to just sound like, people will stop tuning away. Yeah, the promos were clearly the best part of the show. And you asked me, you know, what the dirt sheets say. According to Dave Meltzer, uh, Bischoff does not have a heavy hand in creative on SmackDown. He's more there for the running of the show, the dealing with Fox and all that type of stuff. But also Dave said John Cena wouldn't be at Raw, so John Cena was at Raw, so whatever. Um, for me, it was top to bottom a refreshing breath of air. It was like, oh, yeah, SmackDown was good and can be good and has the talent to be good. And again, just like with Raw, there wasn't the influx of Raw talent from the wildcard rule on SmackDown. In fact, I honestly forget if there were any aside from the Miz, I don't really know. I'm off the top of my head. I don't really think so. The women were all SmackDown women. Best I can remember, it was a largely SmackDown show. Um, but I, starting with the Kofi and Orton thing, I've wanted this storyline for like four years. I mean, all the times Orton's been champ, it's always been, hey, you have Kofi here. You can run that storyline back. And you can give him the title opportunity. The fact that it's the opposite now, that Kofi's able to come to Orton and be like, I'm champ, I didn't forget what you did to me. And the fact that SmackDown's almost taking a page out of uh, NJPW's book, where the champions are making challenges for their titles, as opposed to someone just becoming a number one contender or having to beat them to become a number one contender. I really enjoyed that. With Ember Moon, 
Last week, you and I, it rang a little hollow. It didn't make a lot of sense. This week, I thought Ember Moon did a really good job. But the Kofi being in that ring, I want him sticking on that, and calling out Randy Orton, Orton coming out, them cutting that promo back and forth, getting anytime you get the reaction from the crowd, oh, you know the promo is working. And I just thought they nailed it. That was, I mean, you know, even through that Ember turn, Ember Moon heel turn, like I have never gone from zero to 60 in terms of like she comes out, she wins a stupid match in a, in a minute on a stupid distraction from Bailey. And I was like halfway typing, oh my God, this has done nothing for her. This sucks. And then to give her that opportunity for just a brief, quick heel turn, get both of those two uh, hit with her finisher. And then you're like, oh, this is something. I'm into that. That was sort of the overall feel of the show. There was a badass feel on the show. I mean, Adam, you had to be popping more than anybody, given how much you love the original Kofi Kingston run going going back more than a decade and how aborted that actually was. And even how Kofi Kingston in my rooftop interview with him ahead of Mania, you know, brought up that match against Randy Orton at the Garden and how much potential that that feud had and his potential title level push would have had it got taken out from under him and to have them connect those dots and have them speak real trash talk to each other like that's everything we want about wrestling we will forgive almost every blind spot every blemish every error every uh we don't really care about women and we're taking Saudi money and not bringing women with us. We'll, we'll almost look past anything. If you redeem our time and give us what we want, these are simple, subtle changes to do just that. I mean, Adam, I don't know if we're getting dolphin HBK at, at SummerSlam, but if we we're do, not. we're not, if we do, and I hope we are, and don't try to ruin it with this guy I said we're not because he talked. No, no, I, common sense tells me we're not. Uh, common sense tells me we are by the okay. way. And I would be so freaking all in on that. I have not popped more than I popped on Tuesday night in a while at the potential of seeing the second rate HBK feud, the actual aging HBK. Like the way they set that up was genius. It was almost too much Miz in that segment. I needed the Miz to go away. I think I need this in my life. Need this. This validates uh, Dolph Ziggler's entire run because that's always who he was and is because of the way they've presented him. Unless they put him in pinstripe suits and slick back his hair and let him become Ric Flair, he's always going to be second-rate HBK. So what did he do, Adam? He came out there and ripped HBK's Saudi comeback. Perfection! And then super kicked him in the damn face, and HBK sold that like a G, like an old-schooler is supposed to sell for new-schoolers. Like we talked about Mick Foley on Raw. HBK played that role to perfection on SmackDown, and I always appreciate when they do that. But Brian, I mean, it's setting up Ziggler Miz. Which is a match I don't care at. We don't need that. All about. But that's that's what they're setting up. They're not setting up Ziggler HBK. They're not giving Ziggler an HBK match or a push. HBK is not not wrestling again. I don't see any of that happening. Why not, Adam? He came, because the Saudi, he, because he's not being paid $5 million by the Saudis for it. All right, here's the deal. He already sold his soul. What he realized in that moment was, I can still do this. What is he doing full-time? Training people and working in the ring every day. It's keeping him young and fresh. Do you remember the last great old guy comeback of this type who's been out for a while? It was Ricky Steamboat. It was the Jericho match. That sure. actually led to a real feud in which they had a pay-per-view match that followed, and it was really damn entertaining for what it was. And it, during that time, guess what? Ricky Steamboat was a day-to-day trainer with the with the developmental team with WWE. Unfortunately, it led to him having a, a scary medical episode in which he almost died and he had to give it give up taking bumps forever. But 
this is similar in that regard. I think that it's mm. back in HBK's blood. He, this is the life he's living now. But you don't... And this is the perfect thing where it, it would validate Dolph Ziggler in a way that Dolph Ziggler really needs. Have Ziggler go over him. They shake hands afterwards. Need this. Want could... this. Have to have this in my life. They could validate Dolph Ziggler by just not having him job to end every feud he's ever been in, basically. I That's mean, That's why he's going over here. No, it, it's not. First of all, the match has to happen, and it's not going to. And I hope it does. Trust me. I pray it does. I love Dolph Ziggler. I love HBK. But if you're going to have HBK come out of retirement for a singles match, and we're not going to – Saudi Arabia notwithstanding, Blood Money in the Sand 3, you have the match with AJ Styles. No. The match, the dream match. You don't have him go face Dolph Ziggler, yes. who again – Maybe back full time right now, it seems, but is not in the title picture. Is, doesn't need a push. Just had a two month feud for the title. It doesn't make any sense. They're going to a mismatch with thing, Dolph, Adam, and it's so underwhelming. I don't get how you're saying it doesn't make any sense. It actually makes every bit of sense. I've I've been making this this plea for like three years now over the over the uh, media waves, saying this is the feud. I just never thought HBK would come back. It makes a million amount of sense. It's the best kind of push you can give Ziggler right now, short of making him WWE champion. I just think if you're going to give the HBK rub to someone, you don't do it to a guy, I don't know his age, but who's a legitimate veteran in the company. You do it to a young up and coming guy who will benefit. Like when you, mean, you like had 42 year old Cena, AJ Styles. Like when you, well, okay, that's, you're, you're right. That's not a great example, but that's at least a dream match, those two. That's, that's at least different. But you had John Cena put over Kevin Owens. That's the type of rub you get, a guy who's just coming into the company. You have HBK put over Aleister Black. You have HBK put over um, Buddy Murphy. Someone like that, not necessarily a guy who's already been world champion. That's what I'm trying to get at here. Look, if they do that match, I am popping for it. I'm loving it. The, it's the, the pessimistic Silver King says we're getting Dolph Miz, and honestly, that is a kickoff show match, and I like both of those guys, but it just is. A non-title yeah, match just, with those two, Yeah, not working. Not, I don't not working anything, for me. I don't um, want anything to do with that match at all. Um, Did you pop for um Vintage Cole? On, uh, so what I'm saying is the New Day came out on commentary this week. Which was great. Great. Like, great. Like Xavier well, Woods, Xavier Woods, when he retires, should be a color commentary guy on WWE. So Graves, Corey Graves is apparently on a movie set. Byron Saxon's father had passed away. So uh, they, they promoted that it would be Austin, or that it would be Michaels. It wasn't Michaels. He was on The Miz Show instead. They give you the New Day for two matches, and they're doing the kind of commentary we wish people would do. They're like, why is this happening? Like, it was just, it was hilarious. It was great. Well, then they replaced him with Vintage Cole, and I've seen, I've got DMs to prove it. I'm not going to read it because I disagree so badly. Can you play the, can you play the drop, though, before you read the DMs? You just got schooled by Vintage Cole. Well, Vintage Cole comes out, and he plays color commentator, and there's a lot of people in my DM hole who were saying they loved it. I it thought great. it was ambitious of Cole, but I almost thought it was too ambitious. He was laying it on too thick. Yeah, it was it was there was some intensity in his voice and it was different from the sort of crap we normally get from that third spot. And by the way, he was working opposite Otunga, so anything he's doing, you I guess you can praise it. But I, I don't know. I didn't it, it it felt like too much. It just was off. Something was off. Did you No, I loved it, man. Cole is so Here's the thing, and I, I've gone from you know giving him credit to kind of crapping on him on this show over various episodes for various things, but whenever he is not the play-by-play man or doesn't have Vince McMahon in his ear, he's really good. I mean, he's a talented broadcaster. He's a capable guy. He he knows the talent, and he's been in the business you know for most of his life, probably the majority of his life at this point. He's really good. When they they used to have a four-man booth on SmackDown. 
it was Tom Phillips. They were developing him as a play-by-play man. They had Cole and then two other guys. I think maybe it was Booker and JBL. I don't. I honestly don't remember. Well, who it I'll was. stop you there and tell you what it really was. It was Moro's end run on SmackDown, and Vince uh, was becoming anti-Moro, so he added Tom as a form as an absurd four-man booth for absolutely no reason. Oh, it wasn't Cole. It was no. Tom. Yeah. Okay, so I got that wrong. My bad. Um, then you're right. That was that was a dark. Uh, day in WWE broadcasting history, uh, that whole switch and everything that happened there. Regardless, on the occasions where Cole does get put into that spot, maybe it was with, with Jim Ross is maybe what it was. Jim Ross, Jerry the King Lawler, and Cole. I think there was a combination maybe on a pay-per-view or something like that where that happened. Uh, but whenever Cole's in that other role or at least feels like he can be more relaxed on the microphone, he's great. He knows the moves. He knows the storylines. But when you get saddled with the big dog and it's boss time and and putting over all these slogans and phrases that Vince McMahon wants you to put over, it hurts everyone. And Cole has been in the business for so long with WWE that listening to him on Raw as the lead guy and on pay-per-views, it's, I, I tune him out now because it's just so corporate speak. It's, it's so tagline, hashtag heavy, that anyone else that speaks – Renee Young I think is improving greatly. I think the, everyone on SmackDown is getting better and better. Tom Phillips is really good. It, it, Cole's difficult in those roles. Tuesday night, I fully enjoyed him. I thought he was great. All right. Uh, I'm more upset that you said Renee's improving every she day. She is. She mm. is every week. No, bro. She's great. She's great in the studio, great on the sidelines, probably great in other areas. Dean Ambrose looks like he wants a piece of this pie. Tag. <laughs> uh, what do you, uh, before we get out of this SmackDown seg- or sm- segment and everything that's going on, uh, do you realize that Roman Reigns does not have an opponent for SummerSlam? Uh, didn't they tell us that it was going to be Samoa Samoa Joe this week? No, they fought and didn't Reigns beat him. He did beat him clean. You're right. Unless, yeah, you're right. He did beat him clean. That's he has no he has no opponent on SmackDown. He was with Owens in this match with uh, McIntyre as the referee and Elias there. That's convoluted. Uh, he already has fought Elias. He's already fought McIntyre. We thought maybe that we might get a. Drew McIntyre Undertaker match. That's not happening. So we have Roman Reigns. And we have Drew McIntyre. No opponents. We have Daniel Bryan, who had a career announcement last week. Didn't make it. This week wasn't seen on television. What is going on with these three guys? Three of the biggest superstars in the company for the biggest uh, show of the year. They got to do Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan. They've got to do that, especially with be incredible. now as a heel. I mean, I, I absolutely loved their 2015 Fastlane match before WrestleMania when they did the babyface on babyface to try to take down some of that negative heat that Roman was receiving coming off of that rumble on all the booing. But uh, I need that. I need that in my life. I'm all in on that. Um, I want to talk about though, what Roman was related to on the end of that SmackDown there and the whole look last week, I told you this Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon feud was, was going nowhere fast. They were just rolling out the balls. There's no purpose to it. It's just sort of, uh, Oh, we got a new Austin. Let's put him in Austin like situations. Adam, I feel like we're back. We're back again this week. Like, that was the only part of the show that felt forced and not fresh. I know the the crowd popped immensely when KO and Roman predictably rallied from behind and beat the numbers and out-brawled these guys. But, Adam, how was that different than everything we've seen so far in this build? And how am I supposed to get excited from a storyline standpoint that Roman and KO just validated each other? Like, what are we doing here? There's, it's too much Shane. So I would agree normally that it's the same as what they've done with Roman, which is kind of put him with the hot guy in terms of over with the crowd just to get him over and get cheers. But it worked this time because there's legitimate heat between Reigns and Shane. 
from Shane beating him at Blood Money in the Sand, ridiculously, and Roman never got any comeuppance for that. Never got over on Shane to come back from it. Um, he obviously has long-term heat with McIntyre. I thought better than any of that, the booking was good. It it The match didn't make sense. Like, why would they do it that way um, and have all of them around the ring? You knew that they weren't going to actually have a match. And they didn't have, actually have a match. They just kind of broke it down and beat the hell out of them. KO was the one who got the pop at the end, not Roman. Roman slunk, slunk away and went through the ring ropes and walked out. Owens got to celebrate by himself. Owens got to hit the stunner after Reigns hit the Superman punch. So to me, it was putting Kevin Owens over. And because of that, I really didn't have much of an issue. I was entertained by it. I thought it was well done. I don't love the Kevin Owens-Shane McMahon storyline because, as we already discussed, it reached its apex two weeks in a row and then took a massive tumble last week. I thought they rectified it some this week. Uh, but I need but, something. But I it's need not good enough. There. It's just not good enough. I don't well, really care. Thing. Yeah, it's just not good enough. So you may have been entertained. You may have liked how it played out. It's just it's just paint by numbers to me, and I need something more. I kind of need Shane out of there. Again, I can have Shane as a heel manager, as a leader of a – a faction of a stable, but I can't have him now this much in well, my face. Week Brian, they, they went, they had that. They had the revival McIntyre and Elias with Shane. And they had the backstage segment with the champagne and the lobster and the crab. Right. And then they went and, away and I'm like, I'm like, Oh my God, this is kind of cool. And then two weeks ago they had the re- revival with Robert rude. And I'm like, okay, that's cool too. If they put all of them together in a faction and Shane was the Bischoff of the faction, despite it being on two brands, that works for me. That's kind of cool. Or maybe you, you take Elias out and you have Robert Roode be that, be that other guy, and they're all on Raw. That really works for me. But then the Revival no longer have anything to do with Shane McMahon, and Robert Roode wasn't seen this week, despite the Revival needing him in an opening segment that was actually pretty damn good with Cena, yeah. Rikishi, and the Usos. Adam, you're going to have to come with ter- to terms with the fact that there's no such thing as brands anymore, that everyone's on every show. I don't know, man. This week proved that they separated them. They really did. Nah. With the exception of one crossover each, they did. I, I'm not saying it's going to continue. Well, what do you but, think? I, I think it's going to be open season through the opening of SmackDown. I don't think we're going back to it. I think it, there's too much at stake for them. I don't, dude. Right now, the Raw champions are facing Raw contenders, and the SmackDown faces or uh, champions are facing SmackDown contenders. And Silver King's pretty pleased with that. I mean, that's what I wanted. And if they're going back to it, if they realize that the wild card rule was a mess up, or if the rule does exist where it was supposed to with one, two or three people going back and forth, that's okay. But listen, I'm not saying that they fix their product, but the hopes that the brand split maybe will be resplit. They're higher this week than they ever have been before for me, at least the last couple months. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I'm going to say this though. Overall, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about where are we, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because of all the ups and downs and it changes hour to hour on the broadcast. It changes week to week. It does I'm actually feeling good about where we are headed in, in this big time that's coming up, which is September and October, the launch of AEW with the move of SmackDown to Friday nights and the idea of two big companies making each other better by competing and the idea of WWE getting their ish together because they have to. And, and you know, the potential of SmackDown on regular TV or I'm sorry, uh, NXT on regular TV and all that goes with that. I actually think WWE is, is uh, they're, they're giving me confidence little by little Adam. They haven't, they haven't figured out the formula yet, but they got two guys we love in Heyman and Bischoff and key roles and it's starting to change. So it's not a finished product. It still doesn't fully redeem our time. It still insults us a lot. 
I still get a ton of texts from my guy, Josh, saying, how could you actually ever defend anything that WWE does? But, hey, Josh, how about this? First off, let me tell you something, big Josh. You pancake-eating fat boy from the Northwest. Yeah, how about that? Um, I think, Adam, I'm feeling good about this. I think the term is signs of life. We're seeing signs of life from WWE. The question is, will it fully metamorphosize into a living being that we care about again? I don't know. Uh, we certainly care. I should, that's the wrong terminology. We do care. We care so much. We care too much. That we, want, we, we care too much that we want them to be good. What we also care about, BC, is G1 Climax 29. And we're going to get to that as soon as we hear a quick word from our friends and sponsors. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on it's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. Okay, BC, we're back. I did tease G1 Climax 29 talk coming out of that. It's time. Let's do it. Uh, where do you want to start? Because, look, Silver King, last week, I was nowhere near caught up with NJPW. I am now fully caught up with NJPW. As of July 20th, there was a show t- this morning. We taped this on Wednesday, July 24th. Um, so I haven't watched that yet, obviously. But other than that, BC, I'm all the way caught up. Where are we going here? Uh, let's talk about what's jumping out to us. So I've been traveling a lot as people on this show know twice to Vegas in the last three weeks and other places. I'm, I'm home now. I'm home now for the most part. And I'm ready to start digging in. I'm ready to start making this a part of my morning every morning. I watched like two full hours this morning. So I'm probably not as fully caught up as you, but I've piecemealed some of the bigger matches that have gotten a lot of people's attention. And Adam, as a whole, I'm surprised that John Moxley, FKA Dean Ambrose, is undefeated right now because we know he's not long for this company. And I'm telling you that every time he enters the ring, it has delivered from the standpoint of must-see. Adam, he's like modern-day Stan Hansen. Like, that's who he's become. He's become grab the guy, drag him into the crowd, throw some chairs around, beat some people up. Can we just start off by talking about what has been my favorite match of this tournament so far? What has been, I deem it almost an instant this year, NJPW Classic. John Moxley against your boy, the Stone Pitbull, Ishii. Good Lord, did that touch me in the holes, Adam. Yeah, it's tough to say that's my favorite match. It's it's 1A or 1B with Okada and Osprey, which I just saw. It's the last match I saw. I saw today, sitting at my desk preparing for this show. Um that Moxley Ishii match, my God, I, it's it's what you want from Moxley FKA Dean Ambrose. This is Jonathan Good, the wrestler who you know he's saying, "Hey, I was chained up in WWE. I didn't have the flexibility or the the creativity I wanted." That match, to me, more than any hardcore crap that he used to do the 
the stuff he did in AEW with Janela, whatever. Okay, I don't, I don't care for any of that. That match with Ishii is what I want to see from John Moxley. Absolutely freaking loved it. I don't know a star rating. Maybe not five, maybe five, maybe four and a half. I don't know. Fantastic. Well, in, in the genre of what it was, which was a brawl. It was fantastic. It was a brawl. But it was a brawl that turned into a real match on the stretch, so you give him credit. But it was a brawl that went all over this tiny arena, and to see the the more, the seemingly much more civilized Japanese fans than the American ones. I mean, Japanese fans aren't coming in with three championship belts over their shoulders. They're coming right. in with, like, those sick masks, if anything. And to see them kind of all riled up, I mean, it's fantastic. Then to see the bat... The, they, they created the spot there with a battle with the chairs, Adam. Each holding up a chair and swinging them into each other, and chair pieces flying everywhere. Brilliant. But it actually got down to business and evolved into a real match. And did you pop the level that I did for those stiff-ass running flying knees from Johnny B. Good as if he was like modern-day Daniel Bryan? I did like the knees. I did not like the headbutts back and forth. Yeah, I popped for those. I did pop they were so They were so pulled. I mean, obviously they're pulled because you're not going to really headbutt someone 20 times. But they were so pulled. It's like I don't like when they do that with punches or slaps, let alone with headbutts. It was just it took it out. It, it took away a really aggressive, real feeling match for me and made it like, oh, yeah, this is wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's not Shibata level, but it, it was uh, I was fine with it overall. I love the toughness. I love the feel. Adam, his promos afterwards, him after this Ishii match, basically being like, my wife's going to be so mad at me. I wish I had that sound right now. She hates tables. It was all Ishii's fault. I mean, you can do nothing but pop for that. My boy Talkbox has been sending me uh, sound and telling me about how uh, Mox has like adopted uh, Red Shoes' son as his basically his young boy, and he drags him into all the interviews with him. I mean, there's some brilliance going on. So, Adam, I want to bring back up that point I mentioned. As things stand now in the brackets, in A block and B block, John Moxley first place in the B with eight points. Juice Robinson a second with six. Everyone else has four and two. Are you surprised? It doesn't mean he's going to win it, obviously, because we've seen guys win the brackets after losing early matches to sort of throw some upsets out there. And as we speak right now, I mean, Naito's only got four points. Jay White only has two, so you never know. But are you surprised at all that Mox has eight? And what do you think this means for his future? So I'm, I'm surprised and not surprised. I'm surprised in that I just don't think he's going to win the block. So if he's not going to win the block, the Ishii match is the perfect match to have him lose. Because it's totally defendable. Like, you don't even have to think twice about Ishii, this stone put pitbull, badass mofo, being able to get over on Moxley. But he won. So then it's like, okay, cool. Who's going to beat him? And if no one's going to beat him, and then you have Moxley win, is, does he just win the block and he loses in the finals? Okay, I can buy that. But then you're, but then you're getting into possibly putting someone over who is not, at least as far as we know, with your company long-term. If they and go if that's this way, the case, why are you putting him over in this spot when you could put over, not necessarily Osprey, because that's not a good example, but someone else, Sabre, or, you know, it, it's a little strange to me. Well, I don't know. He's a draw, so I think they're, they're right he is a draw. using that. He's a, he's a, you know, not just a draw, but he's a, like, if you're somebody who's casually into this tournament and you're maybe only going to watch a total of six, seven matches overall, you're going to probably find his matches quicker than others and look for him. I mean, me, I've deemed him on the Yano 
level, on the Omega level of this tournament, where it's like Osprey level, where it's like, I cannot miss. I don't care if he's fighting Goto. I don't care if he's fighting uh, Yoshihashi or that Creeper Taichi. By the way, Creeper Taichi's pulling this gimmick together. I am all in suddenly. Yeah. I'm saying it, that it's I, also It's also a breath of fresh air that Yoshihashi is not in this Thank you so much, NWW. So if they go this distance and actually have Moxley win it, I don't hate them for that. What they would do is they would set you up on that final day to have to see if he wins it. And then if you put him in that final, look, that show is must see. And you get to use Dean Ambrose's name after a potential like unbeaten run here or, you know, a dominant run here in this block to put over whoever you want out of that A block. There's some potential here because Adam Naito's still in that B block and he's still the guy knowing Gato's history who you just have to say is the safest bet to come out of this block. I don't think they're putting Jay White into a Wrestle Kingdom final, even though they've put a lot into him. They've given him Gato. They've done a lot to improve his look, his feel, everything. Unless this is uh, setting up to be a Juice Robinson kind of underdog run, it's Mox or Naito at this point. And if it's Mox, then do it. Do it. Give me Ace and Mox. Give me Okada and Mox. Give me, you know, like, do it. Yeah, I just, I really don't exactly know where they're going. I, th- I do think Juice is there, obviously, in the number two spot in the B block, as you mentioned. But for Ishii, who to me has been the overall star of the entire G1 to this point, for him to be sitting in third with four points in the B block, it says to me they they just treat him like they always do, which is he's really good. He can win some matches, get big wins over big people, but ultimately we just don't see him as – a main event or who we're going to push. And it's disappointing because we're talking about the Moxley match and we kind of glossed over it last time, even though you mentioned it, his match with Jeff Cobb. Oh my God. It was two refrigerators with heads fighting. It was incredible. <laughs> it was ridiculous, man. Was like I, 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 when I saw that and that was through day, I think that was day two. I was like, there's going to be tough time topping this match in the entire G1. Now, obviously since then they have, there's been three matches that have been better than it. Um, but that was fantastic. So I just feel like Ishii is kind of getting not diminished, but looked over for his greatness. Yeah, you wouldn't where, be wrong. They use him as like an enforcer, like warning track power guy who they can put over the like the foreign stars. That's really what they use. Like, there's no reason Yano should have four points and Ishii should have four points. Right? Oh no, you, I, you give Yano his upside. I love Yano. I'm just saying they should. Tai Chi shouldn't have four points and him have, and Ishii have four points. Yeah, okay. Well, it is a long tournament and they do allow losses, so they're probably setting us up to failure. I suppose. Uh, so we talked about Moxley, deservingly so. Okada Osprey, um, classic, instant classic. I saw it today. Muted. I didn't get to hear Kevin Kelly. I'm going to watch it again later. I'm sure it's incredible with him on commentary. That was freaking incredible. The transitions, Brian, between the Rainmaker and a spe- he he. Listen, I, I still don't necessarily – I'm not, all, I'm not all the way there on Osprey, but you know I already you know have my comeuppance, and I said, yeah, he, he's great. Um, Come all the, the way tri- around. Take the, the L and admit you're wrong because you sound ridiculous. There's Join nothing the to be team. wrong about because I didn't hate on him. I just said I'm not a massive fan. But You said you don't get the, him. He's not your cup of tea. Oh, no, no. I already came around on that. I'm, I'm good. But, but the transition between Okada's Rainmaker and a standing Spanish fly was – the most one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. Yes, and it lasted four seconds because he immediately did a top rope high risk maneuver off of it. I forgot if it was a splash or a, 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 a whatever it was. Um, but I just saw that and I was like, oh my god, that's incredible. 
And then it completely washed away from my mind because he did six sick move, maneuvers coming right out of it. That match was incredible. Um, it's an easy five-star match. It's probably five and a half stars. 30 minutes, pure wall-to-wall action. Okada's incredible. Osprey's incredible. Okada got the win, uh, deservingly so, but man, it was great. So, so that's why this tournament rules, okay? Because really great New Japan matches uh, usually need about 45 minutes to be really great. Like that, Like you love that they give it that time. They can go 60. They can go more if there's, you know, overtime or if there's a best of three fall situation. Um, so when they do these 30 minute ones involving these stars that we know can go the 45 minute level, you get these car wreck microwave oven action fights. It's, it's equivalent of like when Kenny and Kota Ibushi had their one last year or when Omega and Okada had part three in their series, which happened exactly. in the middle of this tournament. So it's such a great alternative because you know you're going to get a different style match. If you're listening to this. And you've tasted the NJPW juice before, but you're not into it this year. You're not back on it. Look, start start off. Let this be your gateway drug. Look up Okada and Osprey right now. It's it's just brilliance. And it's another example of how great the Japanese crowds are and how great the NJPW top performers are at manipulating those crowds. Because, yes, they're quiet for like the first 65 percent of the match, but they're they're quiet in a respectful way. They're quiet in a know their role way. They're quiet in a let's let these two wrestlers in front of us build the foundation of this story. Let's not get ourselves over. Let's not bring signs in there. Let's not say this is awesome. Let's not do a lot of things, but be respectful and clap when good things happen and wait until the end sequence. And Adam, that end sequence in Japan, these guys are maestros in front of a giant symphony and the way that they control these crowds and fool them and build them up and those crowds freaking deliver and that's why you get Shaka and Osaka moments that's why you hook the leg because this is the sauce on top of the steak it's just brilliance and I think Okada Osprey was sort of the perfect installation of that Adam I have not yet seen and by the way as we record this block a Kenta Surprisingly, you could you could argue in Okada in first place with eight points. Everyone else has four or two. I did not yet see Obushi Osprey. Have you oh my caught God. up on that? Yes. Tell me yes. about it, please. Oh my God, Brandy. <laughs> oh my God, Brandy. Yeah, uh, it's it's great. Uh, it doesn't live up to maybe the Okada match, but you're talking about splitting hairs. I mean, it's it's really entertaining, fantastic. Um, the problem is, with my, here's my problem with the A block. Top to bottom. You have Osprey in here, right? Who many are considering the best wrestler in the world this year, or is at least having the best year of any wrestler in the world. He has two points. He's the IWGP junior heavyweight champion. He has two points. Kenta, who hadn't wrestled in months, who, despite people liking him, honestly, I'm not impressed. Being if I'm being honest, yeah, I don't he's think he's not he had looked, a good run. I don't time. think he looks great. I don't think he's wrestling great. He's had a couple good moments. He's beaten Tanahashi and Ibushi already and has eight points in his side at the top of the block. That is not good booking, in my opinion. I think, I think. listen, Gato, it's tough to question him because every time well, we do, he comes back over the top they are and, proves, and proves us wrong. We can't but say how do you have Osprey at two, How do you have Osprey at two and Kent at eight? Because I'm going to be honest with you. I bet, I'm going to bet you Osprey has a chance to win this whole block on the last day. And I bet you by that point, Kenta's out of it. So they spent the first half of this, like they did with Holding Jay White up. last year, they spent the first half of this really trying to get him over as a star. And, and I will back you. I will take an L. It, it's going in the wrong direction right now. I, it's just, listen, they're one, two, three, four, 
two, one, two, three. They're almost halfway there, at least in the A block. So we're another week from now, they're halfway through the G1. And the G1's great, don't get me wrong. But it is fair time at this point to be critical. And that is my criticism. Now, as they have proven in the past, when we kind of are, you know, we, we critique them, and Gato comes over the top and is like, oh, yeah, you thought you knew what was happening? F you. Here's, here's my greatness on display. So, yeah, by the time we get to the semi, not the semifinals, but the, the finals of the blocks and the ultimate final of the G1, I'm sure we'll be singing its praises. Oh, my God, that was genius booking. But right now, I have some concerns. And I think Ishii being at four and Osprey being at two, this early on, are legitimately concerning developments. Um, I will say, though, that last year entering into that final day in both blocks, you remember we almost needed like a slide rule, uh, drafting tools to figure out who had a chance. It was exciting as hell. I will say that. Looking back on that, entering into the final day of the blocks, knowing that all these different guys had a chance to do it and trying to figure out the math combinations of how it could do it. I don't know how they figure out this math problem, but Gato is a damn genius, Adam. Like, it's like they, they know what the hell they're doing. And I don't mean to like give the same take two weeks in a row, but I I do have to say there's lament right now. Yes, there's still time for AEW to launch this weekly show, come out here with Double or Nothing, kick me in the hole, get me excited about competition. But Adam, you know as well as I do that the stakes in Japan still maybe the maybe the heart and you know the 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 emotion, the the sizzle, like we said last week, is still in AEW. But if only we could just have a super indie promotion. If only the two could join forces. If only NJPW could be elevated in the states onto a weekly level with a show you had to see. Uh, like this would be my choice, Adam. I think even above NXT, and it's hard to say that now because we're in the G one where everything matters and everything you get is stake. But Adam, this is so damn good. Like, I've been picking around the last few days to try to catch up and watch a match here and there, but I haven't been able to watch the flow. Today, I watched about two straight hours. I saw today's B-block action, and there's matches that you're not going to pop upon the matchup when they enter the ring, you know, like Jay White and Goto. And then they go out there, and by the end of it, man, I'm like, I love Jay White. I don't know what he (laughs) did or how they got me to love him, but his look is amazing he's got a way cooler look than Seth Rollins and I'll stand by that he has a hell of a look he's not there yet as a wrestler but he is a lot further than he was when they first gave him this giant push and it's just an example of this happens every year when we try to catch up on the G1 we're like okay well I can definitely fast forward through this match and then you don't and then you're enthralled because they're going for it every damn match Adam I wish NJPW could be my my home base. I wish it could be my daily meal. I wish it could be the thing we cared about most on this show and built our show around. It's that great. Take me off this ledge. Tell me I'm crazy. Try to convince me that Juice Robinson isn't a top 10 wrestler in the world, please. I mean, I'm not going to you know, give you a whole debate here on it. We already kind of had that last week, but he's not a top 10 wrestler in the world. Because right. I, he's not a top 10 wrestler in the world because I can name 10 wrestlers who are better than him. I don't, so, I don't think you can. But anyway, how about so my by point, default, though, that doesn't make it's what, very You know, simple. if things were different, Adam, and this AEW launch was really NJPW, I mean, this would be real. This competition would be real. This is an alternative product that I think is doing a better job because they treat it as real. The same reason that you and I came around in 2017 and decided to fall for this is the same reason why losing all these stars doesn't matter. I know, of course, they replaced them to a degree with Moxley's a huge addition for this one tournament. But Adam, NJPW knows what the hell they're doing. 
maybe not on a global marketing scale, but on a day-to-day show scale, I wish this could be my wife. (laughs) Don't let certain someone hear that. I think NGPW is... We're, we're wanting major changes, but we, what we expected, what we hoped was for them to go into that U.S. expansion full force. And rather than that, we're getting incremental. We're getting a little bit more on AXS, which I don't even get. But we're getting a little bit more on AXS. We're getting a G1 in the wrong location in the United States, but at least they did it. Um, and we're getting now English commentary for every match. Let's not forget, when we first started watching in GPW two years ago, they, I think, had three or four maybe five total shows that were in English. The next last year, I think they had most of them, if not all, maybe they had all, I don't remember, but they sure they have all of them. And for that, for us to be able to watch and listen to Kevin Kelly, you know, co- do commentary on these matches for a full month. It really does make the G one. It, it lets it hit closer to home for us. So, so far, this has not been the best G one I've seen. In fact, I would probably rank it third out of the three that I've seen start to finish. But it's still extremely entertaining. And as you said, BC, we have a second half to go and they have every opportunity to fully deliver. But you did mention AEW and I want to use that as a transition into our next segment, which is our favorite hero or zero. So breaking news, BC, I have it as our first Hero or Zero topic, even though we didn't know the news was coming out. But as we are taping this show, TNT has announced that AEW will begin its weekly program on October 2nd. Yes, two days before WWE SmackDown debuts yes. on Fox. On And that's a Wednesday, by the way. So it will be a two-hour weekly program Wednesdays on TNT. The way they are advertising it is live weekly matches. Highly anticipated action-packed matches. They will debut in Washington, D.C. at the famed Capital One Arena. Tickets go on sale Monday, July 29th. So that's this upcoming Monday. Um, Besides that, there's really not much in the press release. There is no name for the show. Obviously, they had trademarked Tuesday Night Dynamite prior to the launch of AEW. Whether they call it Wednesday Night Dynamite, whether they just come up with a different name, remains to be seen. Uh, The tagline that they have been going with in the promotion for today's announcement is, are you elite? Question mark. Uh, but the Hero Zero question, BC, this is what I had for you. AEW and TNT, they have a big announcement set. They just made it. Uh, Dave Meltzer reported last week that Fox has begun discussions with WWE about putting NXT on FS1. Should WWE goal, go agree with them, go full-fledged, and make the Wednesday Night Wars a real thing, hero or zero? A uh, monster hero. 100% they should. It should be a strategic move. Look, I've said it from the beginning. I think NXT has a real good chance to end up on FS1, and that wasn't you know, inside news I had or anything I was leaning on. I just think you know, Fox did pay a billion for SmackDown, the B brand, over five years. So you'd think uh, you know, they'd, they'd want to get a little more skin. We know they're having the weekly show and all that. Also, I think it's smart, by the way, to have NXT out there for the people because people who don't watch it, who don't have the network, you can unlap, you can relapse fans with that kind of content week to week. So I think that's really smart. But the main thing, Adam, is this is a competition. This is a war. Everyone involved can act like they're not looking across the street. They are. 
All right. You, you, you compete. That's what you do in business. They're in business to make money and compete. This would be very smart by WWE. Why? One, to kind of promote with something that true fans have to see. Because, by the way, in the beginning, only hardcore fans are going to watch AEW in the very beginning. Hardcore fans also watch NXT. Now you're putting them in a spot where you're going to automatically raise the rent in NXT and probably make the writing even better because you're competing head-to-head, so it's great for fans. But you're basically telling AEW, and in some ways, you're only as good as our third best brand. You're only as good as our developmental brand. Now, in reality, that's somewhat of a hollow statement because we're on here telling you week to week that NXT is better than Raw and SmackDown and has been for at least two years. But I think from WWE's perspective, it's like not only are you not on the level of Raw and SmackDown, but we're going to counter promote you with our junior brand. So I think all in all, Adam, it's a smart move by WWE. I think it's actually really good for fans because any form of actual competition is going to make everyone have to be better, especially to grab them in the live window. It's I know we can all DVR anything and, and watch it on our own time, but in social media age where you're trying to draw people to your product and create viral moments, I, I think it may end up leading to a live NXT, and that would be great for everyone. It may be great for fans. I don't know that it's great for NXT. Because I think what we love about NXT so much is what WWE does not give us. That's consistent storylines, well-built characters. Um, and the way they accomplish that is by taping four episodes at a time at a specific location. They don't travel. Um, they don't have to change scripts on a week-by-week basis, sometimes up to the last minute. If NXT goes live, or even if it is taped each week, let's say, you know, Tuesday night in full, at full sale uh, and then airs live on FS1 or airs on FS1 the next day. Um, that's week to week, you know, script changes, adjustments. Does Vince not get involved in yes, a show on yes. a major network? Yes, he's not involved in FS1 NXT. He can't be. He'll ruin it. He can't but, be. Okay, you're saying he can't be like... Like, we don't want him to be. He doesn't have but, the time. He's 73 years old. Okay, we say that he doesn't have the time, but yet he doesn't seem to have taken his foot off Raw and SmackDown while the XFL is getting launched in 2020. So these are things we want to happen. We want NXT to be two hours live every week with just as compelling content as we have because I want to see guys like Keith Lee, who I don't get to see every week, every week. You know what I mean? I, I, that's what I want. But if we're actually talking about reality and whether that's good for the brand of NXT, I think it's a zero. I think for NXT, it's a zero. I think the NXT product, I don't know that it can get better than it is because let's not forget it is a developmental brand. It is not a third WWE brand as much as they want to say it is because it doesn't operate the same way that SmackDown and Raw operate. So I'm pessimistic if they go this route. Adam, now, you're always pessimistic. Let's establish that. No, not always. Always. I, 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 but if they do something, and you're already seeing it, you saw it this week on 205 Live, I think you saw it last week there as well, and you've definitely seen it on, on NXT. If they do something with 205 Live, where they allow a talent-sharing cross-promotion between those two products, and that's what they put on FS1, I might be really into that, almost creating a new two-hour show, getting rid of 205 Live and having it be a 205 Live slash NXT show with another name, whatever you call Adam, that. How about just NXT on, on, on actual TV? And, Why would you and fight that, because, this? Because, because unlike 
NXT, 205 Live is worthless where it is. So if you put that product up, I think that's interesting. And then you still have your one hour NXT on the network as it currently exists. All right, Adam, I don't know. But if to go, just... but to take NXT and make it two hours and make it live and have it start touring and put it up against AEW, I, I'm concerned that it has nowhere to go but down. Okay, it has only where to go but up. I, I don't I don't know it would be two hours, by the way. I, I would assume it would just be one. But let's. You Why know, would you make that assumption? If you're going up to AEW, they're doing a two-hour live show. All right, then I'd be here for it because they have more talent than they can fit on TV. So here's the deal, and let's be really honest here. Uh, uh, tell me if I'm crazy. At least 75% of what we love about NXT is that the takeovers deliver every single time. Like, they kick us right in the fuel. Like I mean, we, I love the TV product. I do. I, I think the TV product is often great, but I think the TV product also gives us developmental matches. Some that I yeah, don't it need, does. Some that I don't even need to be televised. And I think it's not always great. There can be great moments on there. But the idea of making it live kicks it up a notch, adds pressure, good pressure, excitable pressure to come forward and not just make a regional developmental storyline, but to finally treat this like a legitimate third brand, not a third brand that is only on our network for the supermarks, but one that we're presenting to the wholesale people that may end up falling in love with this again more than Raw and SmackDown. So Adam, this is the best thing that could happen for NXT because it challenges them to be great week to week and to write heavy. And I'm sick of people saying, well, Raw and SmackDown's proven that you can't consistently write really good stuff because there's so many hours of TV. No, that's crap. They mail it in. 205 Live, by the way, every time I tune in, it's great (laughs) and it hooks me. It's simple. What NXT is also week to week most times when they get it right. So putting that on TV is only going to make it even better. And if it does go two hours, they have more people in that stable to show. They got more stories to tell. And Evolve could very easily get bumped up, as we've seen from this special, and basically take NXT's spot on the network for if you really want to see what's next at its, you know, origin form, watch Evolve right there. That could be the sell. That Adam, is, you told that us is pop- from day one that WWE Network would never give up NXT, and I told you from day one, oh, no, the money no. will be there, and they will. And when they do, Adam, this has as much of a chance to help Raw SmackDown be better than any other move because if they put this on FS1 and it gets surprisingly great ratings, I think some people are going to start to say maybe it's their sauce. Maybe it's their flavor. Maybe we should be booking the rest of the territory this way. I just want to clarify because you stated something incorrectly. I never said that they would never do it. I said they, I said they should never do it because you need reasons for people to subscribe to the network besides the backlog of content and besides the pay-per-views and NXT being on the network is a very big reason for Americans and people that don't have Hulu. Apparently it's there also, but uh, to to subscribe to WWE network because that product is so good. So part of my thought process in that was, why would WWE take one of the live events that they actually are showing weekly on the network and pull it off and just put it on national American television? Money. It takes away another reason to subscribe to the network, which Money. is their bread and butter. So I said they shouldn't, not that they wouldn't. I, oh. I have been with you from the beginning. It makes a lot of sense for them to do this on FS1. I think it has the opportunity to be successful. I do think it could be great, but my concern is one of the reasons NXT TV is so good is the fact that they're able to script it out and develop long-term storytelling that we like. And by I'm not saying that Raw and SmackDown being bad week to week 
means that NXT will by comparison. But what I'm saying is it is naturally more difficult to do two hours of live TV every week than it is four hours of scripted TV once a month. I'll let it Paul just take is. that challenge. I'll let Paul Levesque take that challenge where seemingly he has less people in his kitchen. I'm going to guess he doesn't have a giant writer's room. I'm going to guess it's a little bit more confined to a core inner group, which Vince used to run it that way, by the way, by the pool. And it was fantastic. <laughs> so it's a refreshing way to go back to that. And look, it's sort of what the UFC did. They got so much money from ESPN that they're sort of like, all right, UFC Fight Pass is still a thing. You can still subscribe for the backlog. Yeah, we're still going to give you some original shows here and there, but we're getting so much money that it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, but they got a lot of, I mean, listen, if the, if the contract is good, that's a different story. I mean, if FS1 and Fox gives them another deal, maybe not to the tune of SmackDown, but half of that for NXT, that's a huge win for WWE financially. So I can agree with you there. I just I think just we have know. to realize, let's realize this for a second. It doesn't mean this will happen, but there's so much freaking potential in this Fox deal as a whole because it's taking something wrestling from where it has lived for 20 years on cable and pushing it full time or not full time, you know, I mean, full time every Friday, at least on mainstream prime network television. And if it's presented the way there's there, we're hearing it might presenting it as it's a real sport and using NFL playoff time to, to, to put in promos in doing different things that legitimize this genre as a it's OK. So it's a sport, but it's more entertainment. We get all that. But as more legitimate than it ever has been, that it's not absurd down the road that WrestleMania could end up on Fox as like a Super Bowl. And look, if you're a hardcore fan, maybe you don't want that. I don't know. But the idea of this business blowing up again and being legitimate and being not a closet thing where you have to pretend you don't watch that weird porn. Like, this is a real thing again. This deal has monster potential if they deliver, if the ratings are there. Getting NXT to the people, maybe people start to realize within WWE how great NXT is, and maybe as fans we enter into some kind of dream, not just a third boom period, but the best boom period ever, the biggest one. It's not out of the question. Is it likely? Probably not, but it's not out of the question, Adam. Uh, we do need to move on, but can you imagine WrestleMania with commercials? Oh my God, be interesting. Maybe we do Full two day. out of three falls. It's every noon, match. noon to midnight, all of a sudden. Yeah. Well, I think at that point, look, at at that point, you'd actually have TV execs in the McMahon's ear going, look, we can't do a seven and a half hour mania. So uh, let's streamline and put your best forward. Like I and I don't think that's a bad thing, Adam. The more that they go public and the more that they they push to the masses, they're going to have less control in certain areas. And that's not a bad thing. Essentially. All right. All right. All right. Let's All do right. it. Let's roll on here with this hero or zero. Number two, Adam. Charlotte Flair on Tuesday declared herself the greatest woman of all time and promised she would have a better opponent than Bailey does at SummerSlam. In your eyes, who will that opponent be? And hero or zero as to whether this is a smart idea to presumably present a fourth women's match at SummerSlam without a title belt linked to it. Yeah, so I think having women's singles matches and even tag team matches Without titles is great. It's, I mean, they should have them. If they have men's singles matches with titles, there's no reason not to do the same for women, right? The problem is there's only one woman who is fitting in this match. That person is Trish Stratus. Uh, she's a Canadian. She's largely 
believed to be the greatest woman of all time regarding w involving wwe you know whether that's true or not is besides the point but it's the one that they push so charlotte flair versus trish stratus is a massive freaking match and if that's the way they go then good for them the problem is now those two women's singles title matches kind of mean nothing i mean not that they truly mean nothing but the match is so much bigger than those it's the greatest of the current era if you believe that with charlotte versus the greatest of the prior era who we know for a fact can still go in trish stratus probably being being the main event women's match of that show and it kind of says you know what now i understand last week bc why natalia and number moon are the challengers for the titles and not a sasha banks or a charlotte or even though i don't like her in the role in alexa bliss it makes a lot of sense that if you're not going to feature those title matches as your as your biggest women's matches it makes sense not to have challengers that are huge names and overshadow them. So it's a hero for me if we get Charlotte Flair and Trish Stratus. It's a hero for me that we're going to get a fourth women's match on the show, presumably. But it's a zero that it's going to overshadow both women's titles. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'll give you, I'll give them credit on this. I praised the Ember Moon heel turn at actually maybe making me care about that match, and I got to praise that moment of bliss segment with Natalia attacking Becky Lynch. I, I actually thought that was well done. And they actually gave a storyline reason why that would happen. Once again, it was Natalia saying, Becky, you think you started the revolution? I did. Is it the most original? No, but it's something there. Um, I don't pop for Trish, but it's just me personally. I mean, okay. You know, I'm do I, would I pop for Trish? Yeah, yeah, I would. But what I'm saying is that historically I don't pop for Trish, so it doesn't move me. But if you have an, a a legend who's been out of the game this long and, and can still do it, and you want to do this type of match, the former quote unquote goat against the new one, then this actually does make storyline sense. This is a hero in the long run, even if it doesn't move me. I really can't think of anybody else that it could be or should be because they don't care about Asuka, and I don't want to see Rousey rush back for something without really giving the time to it and have it mean something. Because I want, I, look, in the end, I want Rousey to feel special, so I really want them to, to treat her delicately and how they do end up bringing her back. Um, I'll, I'll give this whole thing a hero. I'm not worried that it overshadows the title match. It doesn't really piss me off that much. I just think I need Sasha Banks back at SummerSlam. So hopefully, Adam, we see her rescue Bailey and then turn on her like you had mentioned, because it's time, all right? It's or, time. or Becky, or Becky, not maybe rescue Becky, but maybe just... Becky beats her. She's beaten down and she runs in. Sasha, save us. Save us, SB. Come and save the women's division because right now it is floundering. And you forget how good some people are until they're gone. And you forget how important Sasha was to the entire women's division until she's gone. She has not been back since April. We say that about Enzo Amore. You're very right. We do not say that about Enzo Amore. BC, uh, Bray Wyatt as his Mr. Rogers type persona came out. And said the Fiend has accepted Finn Balor's challenge for SummerSlam. That's step one of the Silver King's storyline path here that I hope does exist between now and whether it's Survivor Series or Royal Rumble or whatever. Step one appears to be complete. Do you have any apprehensions with the match, the storyline, how they are presenting Bray Wyatt to this point, Hero Zero? No, it's 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 a, they're pitching a perfect game. This is and there's a lot of pressure on them to take something so brilliant, which has been those vignettes, the, the playhouse. And then make it work in the ring. And so far they've done that, although we haven't seen a full match, obviously. But they've been able to transition that Fiend character. And then keep the Mr. Rogers side of him as if it's 
two personalities and, you know, brilliant. The way they handled it this week was a double hero. The whole, the you know, I think you're courageous, but the fiend doesn't. And then seeing him slip back into it and drop the scary follow me. Like, I'm not kidding. I, you know, they put these in the later parts of the episodes. And I end up watching them in the 10 o'clock hour, sometimes in my basement with the lights off. Um, it's like freaky, Adam. It's like legitimate scary staring into the Fiend's eyes or Bray Wyatt when he does it. It's perfect. Finn Balor is has the potential to be perfect if they keep him the hell away from the demon, Adam. Because I don't need his, unless they're going to prop up his demon to just get crushed by Bray Wyatt's demon. And if they do that, then great. I hope they remove that gimmick from Prince Devitt altogether because Fergal don't need that ish anymore. There was a season that was cool <sighs> and hot. He don't need that. You know what he is? He's great. He's friggin' great. And by the way, shout out to him. He's fell in love. You see the pictures on Instagram. Yeah. Him and his girlfriend have the same tattoo on the back of their tricep of the uh, longitude, latitude and longitude coordinates of probably where they met and, and consummated their marriage. I don't know if they're married, but they probably banged at him, right? Not married yet, but I would hope so. All right. Um, anyway, this is a home run. This is a this is bang the gong. This is this hits me everywhere. I need to be hit. Yeah. So it's a total hero. Um, everything that Brian said, I'm going to co-sign on that. Regarding Finn, like the demon is important. I think it's a really good character. Fans do pop for it. The way this plays out, I don't remember if I fully said it on here, but the way I hope it plays out is you have the fiend decimate Finn Balor. It gives him that vacation time that he wants, whether it's to get married, go on a honeymoon, whatever the hell it is. It gives him that time away, and then you have Finn come back as the demon eventually to take the Fiend out, and then they go their separate ways and both exist separately from one another. But it's a perfect story arc. It's super easy. Again, I say it all the time. Sometimes predictable is good. Let's do this. This is predictable. Have the Fiend decimate Finn. Finn kind of was a little scared, had some good acting in his eyes uh, on SmackDown. That worked out really well. But let's have that complete. Give Finn some time off. Bring him back. And let's consummate this feud yes. that never really got consummated between Pumpkin Demon and Sister Abigail. No. Well, you know what? Let's fix that with Real Demon and The Fiend. I'm ready. Let's go. I love a happy ending. All right. Don't we all? <laughs> what? Um, Adam, Hero or Zero, number four. After NXT this week, William Regal announced the third match between Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano. Another two of three falls match filled with stipulations this time. So, are you tired with this feud, or is this fresh enough to keep it going, hero or zero? So, it's tough. This is a tough one, because you kind of want to see new challengers, especially after going through the Gargano-Champa feud. And yeah, Champa had a match against, you know, Dream, and there was some other people that he faced on NXT TV. But that thing lasted so long that you really wanted eventually when Johnny won the title for that to end and to move on. Well, now all that's really happened is that Cole has taken Champa's place and now they're continuing it with Cole just a different way. So on one hand, despite the last two matches being freaking incredible, legitimately incredible, I am kind of tired of seeing Cole versus Gargano. But if you're going to give us Cole Gargano again, the way to do it is the way William Regal announced this match, which is another two out of three falls. They're going to end it finally. This is it. Last time ever. But Adam Cole gets to pick a stipulation for the first fall. Or I'm not sure which is – I'm not sure who gets to pick which fall. But Adam Cole gets to pick a stipulation. 
Johnny Gargano gets to pick a stipulation. And then if it goes to a third fall, William Regal gets to pick oh, the yeah. stipulation. So you have the possibility for last man standings, ladder matches, falls count anywheres, cage match, sell. Who the hell knows what they're going to do? Now, you would expect if it's going to be a cage or sell that would start, they'd have it you know, in the arena and then they'd lift it up after. Um, point being, the creativity of the booking is saving the lack of creativity for the matchup, the lack of newness for the matchup. So as long as this is the last time, as long as the feud ends here and either Cole retains or Gargano wins and the other person goes into something different, I'm okay with it. It's a hero. I know because more than anything else, I know it's going to be great. Yep. Yeah, can you remove the pessimism from your life, please? I mean, you there's no pessimism. Um, this is everything that's great about wrestling right here. Okay. They're not going to wear you out. You know what they're going to do? They're going to take the third and final one to the next friggin' level. A stipulation for each fall. Like this is, this is going to like the, they already opened this feud with arguably the best match ever. Like really, like, I mean, Meltzer went that far in WWE history, at least. This is the only way I think you do best that. And I think, Adam, when I look back at true rivalries, I like it best when it falls within the structure of three pay-per-view matches over the course of that rivalry, whether it's six months, nine months, a year, whatever. I mean, that's how we love it. We mentioned Sting, I'm sorry, Steamboat and Flair in 89. You're thinking of the three pay-per-view matches. And for the most part in recent years in WWE, Cena and and, uh, AJ had three legitimate singles matches. Obviously, they had a tag team one as well, but... You sort of get that. Uh, this is surprisingly become an insanely great feud. Not surprisingly because of their ability levels, but surprisingly because Gargano's fresh off what arguably the greatest story ever told 2.0, so which hasn't even been finished telling. So the fact that he would follow that up with this level of gold, I want to see what they can do. I want to see if they can become the greatest ever. I want to see if they can blow our minds away. So I'm not tired. I'm excited. I'm anticipating magic here. And like, this is the kind of ish I want to see not on FS one on Wednesday nights. I want to see it on (laughs) Fox on Friday nights, Adam. I want to see Vince out of the damn gorilla. I don't want there to be gorilla. I want there to be a black curtain and a TV on the, on a wooden table in the back. I want this kind of basic brilliance, Adam. I need it in my life. I want it. These are the times when they actually get better than NJPW, right? I mean, Adam, the thing that keeps me a wrestling fan is NJPW and NXT and this type of stake. I want this to be the actual thing that people follow and taste. I feel like I'm some weird cult leader saying, drink my juice. You may die in sneakers, but drink my juice. Try it. Taste it and see. This needs to be what we watch as wrestling, okay? Not half-assed good WWE, not mail-in jobs WWE in 2019, not anything else. This is greatness. Give it to me the third time. Bang the drum. Bang me. Give Here's a piece of me Adam will enjoy. Please give it all to me. I want to feel like this every single time I turn on wrestling. I mean, look, this this subscription to the network should come with like a box of tissues. I need this, Adam. <laughs> I don't think you're being fair calling my criticism on this pessimism because it's you think you remember the Gargano Champa rivalry. There were months where they were apart whether it was for match reasons or storyline reasons, they, they, they were always tangled together, but they didn't have 
matches together at three straight takeovers. This is going to be the same main event three takeovers in a row. So I'm not saying it's bad by any means. I'm simply saying it would have been nice for there to have been a break for someone else to have gotten involved in this in a takeover where there's a break and then Gargano comes back as the next challenger. Instead, we're getting it in in consecutive fashion here, and we're getting two, two out of three falls matches in consecutive fashion. So while I love it, and I'm optimistic that it's going to be incredible because they're incredible and NXT booking is incredible. At the same time, I think I'm allowed to be critical and say, you know what? There's a ton of other guys in NXT. It would have been cool for someone else to have gotten a title shot in between, not counting, you know, NXT TV. Don't remove the hot tub from this card, Adam. Okay. From your (laughs) house. That's fine. You can live how you want to live. Other people, they want to get wet. All right, let's do it. We got to move on from here. All right. Before we move on, everyone needs to watch last week's NXT, including Brian, by the way, uh, Riddle Rojas opening match, insanely good MMA style, awesome type of match, Brian. You would love that. And then we got Kushida, Apollo, freaking Cruz. Ooh, ooh, I pop for Holy that. bleep. It was fantastic. All right. All right. I'm here for that. All right. Final question here or zero BC. And we're going to talk about Apollo Cruz. Uh, we discussed last week how the Apollo Cruz and Cedric Alexander storylines were basically identical. And I say storylines, I mean matches more than anything else. This week, they followed up on both quite differently, although both of the underdogs from a week ago did get some comeuppance. Did you think that this week saved last week for those two angles, storylines, moments, segments, whatever you want to call them, Hero or Zero? Um, I really wasn't moved, not in a negative way, not in a, in a positive way. Is there a median ground between Hero or Zero? Uh, Miro, Mir- Mark Miro, the yeah, the uh, Sable's first husband. Yeah, was um, did you did you like Mark Miro? No, no, because I knew him first as Johnny B. Bad, which was like fake little Richard. It was just so lame. So then he comes into WWF with the big push, and he's this corny boxer. No, I will say he was trying stuff. He was doing moonsaults in '96, like like yeah. he got paid a lot of money. He looked the part, but no, he he didn't have it. No. He was the vision of me for a long time, even though I knew it wasn't because I knew other guys who were Golden Glove boxers. But he was the vision because they promoted it so much in my head of whenever I heard Golden Gloves, I saw Mark Marrow. It's just every single time uh, for like probably six years. And then eventually, obviously, it went away. But all right, back to the question. Go for it. Um, You know, I'm really racking my brain to try to remember what Apollo Crews did this week. So um, Cedric Alexander got the holy hell killed out of him by drew mcintyre who gave him a reverse alabama slam into the ring apron uh didn't even have a match but that was alexander uh, that was mcintyre getting back at alexander apollo cruz had a i don't remember if it was for the title but he had a match with shinsuke nakamura oh, that's right that tore the freaking house down wow there's a lot of wrestling i consume in a week that i have to like try to remember when that happened or what that actually was all right, yeah, it was, it was it went in the right direction. I thought that Alexander spot was really good. I mean, overall, I'm kind of Mark Marrowing you because because uh, <laughs> I once banged Sonny. I mean, uh, sorry, Sable, but uh, but not anymore. Now Brock does. Um, but ultimately, I you know it was it was cool. It was fine. I like that Nakamura Cruz match. I like the two late near falls that really seem to pop the crowd. And then you not only get the Kinsasha finish, you get the running one outside, which is really this darker turn that that Shin's been going lately deeper into his heel. Yeah, I'll I'll give you a slight hero there, but but the fact that I didn't instantly pull it means it didn't really hit me that hard. That's fine. Uh, it's a hero for me. I thought both were really great segments this week. Nakamura's IC title run is better than his U.S. title one. Rital one was 
ah, man, I stumbled that totally. His intercontinental title run is better than his U.S. title run was through its entirety. And this has only been like two weeks. So Nakamura is doing a great job as IC champion. Apollo Crews is really impressing me every time we see him on TV. Uh, and regarding Sable, um, it was a big dose of reality when we were in New Orleans at the Ritz-Carlton. Let's give ourselves a little Barry Horowitz for that. Wow. Uh, and we see Brock Lesnar and Rena Mero walk through <laughs> with like four armed security guys. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, what the hell is happening here? They're going for a morning workout. It was kind of weird, wasn't it? Yeah, she still got it, by the way. What you... It was jarring. She was, was she in her mid fifties? I don't think you should put that on her. I don't know if she's that old. All right. Well, we we can look it up by the beauty of the internet. I'm doing it. But, uh, yep. Shout out to Rena Mero. I saw her in person, and I popped. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Sable. <laughs> Thank you very much. She's 51. All right. She's doing great. Okay. She is 51. Yeah. She's a great okay. person. Thank you. Thank you for taking care of Brock for all of us. All right, Adam. It's time to touch the feel spots. What do you got this week? I don't know. I think we're aligned for the second week in the row, and I think it's the same show that we're aligned on 205 live this week start to finish man freaking incredible i've said freaking a lot i don't normally do that it was an incredible show i think starting with the creo and mendoza match against lucha house party we saw real lucha libre wrestling maybe it's not you know lucha bros quality but it was pretty damn close it was pretty great i know there was the package that you want to talk about because you love talking about packages i'll save that for you and then the final match of the show was I mean, it was incredible. It was Drew Gulak against Swerve Isaiah Scott, the former Shane Strickland NXT guy, getting called up to 205 Live for a main event match against the Cruiserweight champion. Tore the house down. I, I was upset I was not in Miami for SmackDown. I was upset I wasn't in Miami for 205 Live. Yeah, I, I'm upset every time I watch 205 Live because I only watch it like when you hear something was great and then I try to power watch it before we do this show and I get upset because – Again, like this is kind of how I want my wrestling to be. It's simple and it's brilliant. And Adam, they got me when this show opened with that video package between Drake Mavericks and uh, Mike Kanellis showing that what's going to lead to our next week on 205 Live, an unsanctioned match in which if Mike Bennett wins against Drake Maverick, he gets a title shot. But the build and the in-ring trash talk they had about... uh Bennett, Bennett Canellis re-signing with the company and, and wanting a title shot and, and, and ripping Drake for being only about 24-7. And, and like the way that they combine those storylines and then talking about Drake Maverick's wife and having him spin around and punch him in the face. I mean, like that's old school. Why we love wrestling for basic stuff like that. Like, don't be talking about my wife. Uh, you know, he tested his manhood and he got slapped and then it worked out because it was a heel Mike Canellis move the whole time. He may play a, a, a bitch on the main roster, but he's a badass on 205 Live and has been since they've made him sort of a feature part in the show, almost in the old Enzo role. I'm loving this right now. They have me where I have to see what happens next because I anticipate something cool within the storyline. So that really pops me right in the damn feel hole. Did that movie at all? Yeah, the best thing about the Canellis overarching storyline is 205 Live, the writers on 205 Live, and I don't know who they are, they're almost making chicken salad out of chicken shit a little bit because the story is, it goes beyond just that. It's Mike Kanellis getting like cucked by his wife on Raw and projecting that onto Drake Maverick on 205 Live. Yes. So it's almost a study in psychology that we're getting. 
which is so not WWE writing in any way, shape, or form. But it's this great weave that we see him get totally bitched out by Maria on Monday and then come around Tuesday and be the aggressor for Drake, who's a smaller guy, and so on and so forth. And it's it's incredible. So this Drake Maverick, Mike Canella storyline, is it popping me? Hell yeah, it is. This is maybe some of the best stuff WWE is doing right now, even though the part on Monday with Maria, it's kind of wearing on me, and I, I it touches on some real life stuff for other people and, you know, spousal, uh, you know, relationships and verbal abuse and things that are not very good. Um, and they're kind of making you almost want to laugh at Mike for it, which isn't really the right tone. Uh, but the fact that they're correcting it every single week on Tuesday, it's great. Well, I think we got to stop for a moment and say like Drake Maverick, like rockstar spud, like he's doing it between the 24 seven and this, like, I know it maybe it didn't work when he was the manager of AOP dressed in fatigue, but, <laughs> but this works. I give him as like a performer a lot of credit. All right, Adam, that's the show this week. Um, I turned 41 this week, Adam, on Thursday. I'm going to have a birthday, and um, I want to celebrate with some wrestling T-shirts because that's what middle-aged washed guys like myself, I think, apparently do. Um, I went out. There's a wrestling oasis. If you live in the Connecticut area and you don't know about this, you need to wake up. Ken's Cards in Berlin has the famed wrestling room. Adam, I purchased a uh, King Mo TNA wrestling shirt there um, for $10 that popped me. They have a uh, Crime Time shirt that was really hard not to buy, Santino's shirt. But I went on WWE Shop, and I have to report this. Once in a while, WWE gets it right, and they bring back a retro shirt. They brought back the Cesaro all real American shirt. Have you seen this? <laughs> it's black. It has a picture of the United States flag with a bald Eagle with a astronaut next to it with like a picture of the moon. And it says Cesaro on cursive. And on the back, there's a flag and says real American. It's the tackiest piece of crap. I need it in my life. I'm purchasing it today as a self birthday present. Is there any chance they bring back some point the Y2AJ shirt so we can buy it? No, but I do think it'll show up eventually in 10 years at Ken's cards, the store I've mentioned, which has the most random, and ridiculous stuff. Do you know what t-shirt they have there? And I'd buy it in a second if it wasn't a 2XL. It's a Ted DiBiase Jr. from the Marine 2 like <laughs> movie poster t-shirt. Like, are you kidding me? There was so a I, legacy shirt there. You know uh, that the faction he yeah, was in? Yeah, yeah there was yeah. one of them too. The, oh, there's so I know you I know you wear these shirts when we go out and do wrestling things, but do you wear them normally? Yes, uh, I wear them in regular town life and I also wear them a lot while flying just to see who's cool. And I do get like, you know, you have those moments in life. You may have them uh, when the bartender or whatever gives you a nod, but you know, if I'm yeah. wearing like a DIY shirt and the baggage claim guy or whatever at the airport gives me like, yeah, you know, you, those moments are what you live for because it makes you feel less like a freak. And so, a 41 year old. So you man. get that. So you get that with uh, legacy shirts and I'm not like most girls shirts. Yes. With Nia Jax. I'm not like, no, I don't wear that in public. That's a, that's, really, uh, <laughs> that's that just pops me that I own it. That's really just, I bought that for $4 <laughs> to pop myself for that. I own it but yeah so that's that that's the show you got anything else silver king no no great week um you know i, I mean promote obviously brian did instant analysis from um pacquiao, pacquiao thurman. thurman and brian look my scorecard doesn't matter bleep okay because i'm not a boxing writer you are but i did score the fight the same as you and i i try to score major fights myself just to kind of see how close i am to other people you got a lot of hate for it oh yeah i didn't I didn't think it was deserved. I mean, we had uh, Feldman, the judge, had the exact same card as you, again, as me, but I don't really matter. Um, I don't know how you could have watched that fight, especially the last like half of it, and thought Thurman didn't have 
a case to at least win on the card. That's the thing. And look, I was in the arena. I was ringside. And sometimes that helps your view. Sometimes it hurts it, depending on the situation. So look, I'm always going to understand that I could have emotionally scored it one way when I'm at ringside. And by the way, I'm also doing a live chat and tweeting and all that. And di- see it differently on the replay. And also people at home, by the way, who are complaining, who are telling me to kill myself are not scoring at home because they're just watching it with a beer. And they're thinking, oh, the announcers really like Pacquiao. Oh, the guy who scores it on the TV likes Pacquiao. So this guy's an idiot. Um, no, I thought it was a much closer fight, and I and I will rescore it when I see the replay, and and I will take the L if I need to. But look, all three judges scored it seven rounds to five in either direction. So the fact that I had it seven five Thurman is not the most absurd thing. It was a great fight. Although Adam, is it a conspiracy theory that the judge who scored it seven rounds to five for Thurman lives in my town, and I know him well, and so did I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that that's really interesting. But I so when I got the the card and I got the compu box, they email it all to us at the end. I looked at Feldman's card. I looked at my card. It was round for round identical. So I don't know. I don't know what yours was. I think I'm guessing it was similar if that was the case. But I don't see where the hate's coming from. And if you actually got told to kill yourself, I actually did get told to kill myself. Maybe it's the same guy who saw both of us tweeting. But I got a tweet (laughs) saying KYS based on my card. I'm like, dude, I tweeted that Pacquiao won the fight, but my card shows Thurman. I don't know how I can be more clear about that. But there are people hating on anyone who dared to give Keith Thurman a shred of credit for that fight. I thought he looked crappy early, obviously, the first three rounds. But coming out of that, I mean, that guy's a warrior, man. I love that fight. That was, was a great, a great fight. fight. It was one. It was a, an instant classic. I know some people watching at home didn't feel that same way, but it was incredible to cover that and be there. A lot of respect for Manny. Like Teddy Atlas said on SportsCenter, whatever supplements he's taking, I need some of those. <laughs> give me some. <laughs> oh, friggin yeah all right check out that state of combat offering our mma show as well with rashad evans previewing ufc 240 Uh, i put away my soundboard too early but i'm back out that's us for the show this week the interview is over adam um no 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 they didn't no whoops wrong button but um yeah thank you chris (laughs) farley but uh yes uh time to go say goodbye say goodbye goodbye say goodbye Oh, it is. And real quick, by the way, check out that uh, feature on The Athletic written by Tim Graham, who went back and uh, kind of did an in-depth look at the uh, death of Miss Elizabeth and Lex Luthor's role and interviewed her family. A compelling must-read affair on The Athletic. That's it. End of show. Interview's over. We out. We out.